Friends in Christ, grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. The text for our consideration this morning is taken from the Gospel reading. This is Mark 8, verses 27 through 29. Two very important questions. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And Jesus asked them, Who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Christ. Let us pray. Lord, you are the Christ. What does that mean in my mind, in our hearts, in our thoughts? Lord, Fill our thoughts and hearts with thoughts of Christ and what it means for you, Jesus, the Son of Mary, to be the Christ. Lord, we pray this. May the words of my mouth, the thoughts of our hearts, the meditations of our being be to the glory of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. In his name, amen. So we're at the end of the Epiphany season. Once again, Epiphany begins at the Jordan River where Jesus steps into the water to be baptized by John the Baptist. The heavens are torn open, a dove descends. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. That opens Epiphany season. And the season closes appropriately enough with basically the same word being spoken on a mountaintop to Jesus plus the disciples. Jesus appearing with Elijah, the law of God, or the prophet of God, if you will. God's will is not being done was always the message of the prophets. And Moses, the other person that Jesus appeared with up there on that mountain, the law of God. His will for mankind. The law and the prophets with Jesus on the mountaintop. As one of my teachers pointed out, this is the time when it finally shows up that Moses made it into the promised land. You remember he was not allowed to enter. And he died near Mount Nebo and the Lord buried him out there. But clearly he did make it into the promised land because now he appears with Elijah and Jesus. And they're discussing, the Greek word is really interesting, the exodus of Jesus. Bringing to mind the vision of the exodus from Egypt. That's what's being talked about. And there's three witnesses on that mountaintop. Three witnesses, Peter, James, and John. In Hebrew thought, truth can only be established if two or more people testify to it. And so there's three to speak of there. James, of course, will die an early martyr's death, but Peter and John will be the two witnesses who recount this, this experience on the mountaintop where they heard God himself interrupt Peter as he's spewing at his mouth. This is my beloved son, listen to him. The words of Epiphany season, this is my beloved son. The Epiphany season is between these two bookends, and it can vary in length depending on when Ash Wednesday occurs and depending on when Easter occurs. This year Easter is early, 
so our Epiphany season was shortened. But Epiphany is about revealing the divinity of Jesus. And so we'll hear, we'll hear the narratives of Scripture about how He overcame temptation. Only a divine person could do that. How He will heal the sick and the lame. Pick up your pallet and walk, He says to the guy who's dropped through the ceiling. He will cast out demons. The demons know who He is. It seems the disciples never do. But the demons know, Lord, send us into the pigs rather than into the abyss. And so that happened. And Jesus will raise the dead. Talitha Kumi, he says to the little girl. He has power over creation. We'll hear sometimes about him walking on water, telling the storm on the Sea of Galilee to be still. This is his divinity being revealed to us. So the question arises, and now near the end of Epiphany season, we have this lesson. Jesus is as far away from Jerusalem as he can get. He's in the far north of Israel. He's healed the uh, Syrophoenician woman's uh, child. And then he's gone to Benias, the town that was renamed Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi, renamed by Philip, the Tetrarch, a member of the family of Herod, for Caesar and himself. Imagine that, prideful person here. Caesarea Philippi, those are my two gods. And that's where Jesus asked this question. Caesarea Philippi, it's an oasis in the desert, at the base of a mountain, there's a big spring there, there's lots of water, there's lots of good growth, an oasis. It was a place that was a little cooler than the most of the Holy Land, so this is where people went to play. It was a vacation resort type town. Palaces were built there by the wealthy. Can we say, do we dare say, Las Vegas? Maybe. No Super Bowl, no Travis and Taylor, but... Caesarea Philippi. Jesus and twelve disciples. And the question is asked, who do people say that I am? The answer that Jesus hears is some say Elijah, John the Baptist, or another prophet. What question do you hear when that, what answer do you get when you ask that question? Who do people that you know, what do they say? Who is Jesus? Some of the ones that come to mind for me, if I'm talking to a person who is Islamic, they will tell me, oh yeah, he's a prophet like Mohammed, not quite as great as Mohammed, but a good prophet. He talks a lot about God, but he's definitely not the son of God, because that would be blasphemous to say that God has a son and God actually was born of a woman. Can you imagine such a thing? Or maybe you know someone that follows the Druze faith. I know we have some people that do know the Druze faith. To them, Jesus is a manifestation, one of seven manifestations of a divine presence. Those seven are Mohammed and Buddha and several others. I don't remember the names right now, but basically they say all those guys are equal in trying to show us the divine. That's what a believer of the Druze cult would say. Or maybe you know some people that are a good Marxist. Marx believed that everything was about oppressed and the, the oppressed and the oppressors. And so Jesus is a good social revolutionary. 
He's killed by the Romans for trying to equalize society, do away with poverty and all those social justice kind of issues. Marxists would say Jesus was just a victim of the oppressors of his time. And others will just tell you, well, yeah, Jesus is a pretty neat fellow. He had some interesting teachings. A pleasant teacher who wanted an improved world who ran afoul of a Roman power structure and had him done in. You can hear that one, too. And you'll run into some very pious Christians who tell you that Jesus is an example to us all. We are to live like Jesus. Others will say, he's simply a victimized person who is glorified by those seeking to use him for their own ends to build a church of power and glory and that sort of thing. So who is Jesus? Who do people say that I am? Those voices are still out there. I hope you're getting that message this morning. I'm not telling you anything that you haven't heard if you read the papers or if you talk to people. Probably some people we could name personally know Jesus as one of these other types of things. But then there's the real question. Some people say it's the most important question of all in all human history. Who do you say that I am? You, personally, as I look at you this morning, who do you say that Jesus is? This is where the rubber hits the road, does it not? What other people think is one thing, so what? If you Marxists want to say that Jesus was just a guy that died trying to make the world a better place, fine. But who do I say that Jesus is? Peter gets it right. Sort of. Do you hear what he said? You are the Christ. Four words in English and half of, actually it's actually four words in the Greek, in the original. You are the Christ. The Christ, the anointed one. That's what Christ means. Chrismat, chrismation is to be anointed. The Messiah is the Hebrew form of the same word, to be anointed. Who was anointed in the Old Testament? David, kings of all kinds, Aaron, priests of all kinds. People were ordered into a task, given an office to do. They were anointed for that particular task. Today we lay hands on people when we say, this is your office, you're going to do this. I did that with Sam Stuckey one day, right here. Or maybe it was the other place. But I said, Stan, you're in charge of building the program that will make this church. And we laid hands on him and he had the authority to do that. That was an anointing in his own way. So, Peter says... Jesus is the Christ. He has it right, partially. But what kind of Christ does he have? Jesus is looking for an answer. Peter, from Peter and from us. He asks the question. But he knows we cannot, on our own, answer correctly. And Peter does not answer correctly. Because what happens? Jesus will say, the Son of God must suffer many things. Be rejected by the elders. Be killed. And after three days rise again. And what does Peter do with that? He jumps on Jesus and says, No, Lord, it can't be that way with you. This is not what it means to be the Christ. The 
says Peter, no. God wants to hear Peter and our faith, and He gives us the content. The content is a Christ who suffers and dies for our sins. And Peter objects. Lord, it cannot be. And he gets the rebuke of all rebukes, something you never want to hear the Lord say to you. Get behind me, Satan. Think about that. Peter, and more often than not, all of us, want that glory road. I'm a follower of Jesus. You need to listen to me. He's the Son of God. I'm an adopted Son of God. Wow. Get in line or get out of my way. That's the glory road. And Jesus says, Satan, that's not what He came to do. The task, the anointing, is to do death to sin. Jesus takes it all on the cross, and we are called to let Him. Please, Lord, take my sins. Forgiveness for you, for me, for all mankind. No more grudges, no more getting even, no more vengeance. With man, this is impossible. But all things are possible for God. And Jesus is not a man like any other man. He is God. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This is the Father's will to be merciful to sinners, to be merciful to people like you and me who want the glory road rather than the road of forgiveness. So today, on this Transfiguration Day, the end of another Epiphany season, the question remains, who do you say that I am? My answer, and I hope yours, and if you got a better one, please let me know. You are the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. With all that that entails. In Him, and only in Him, do dead sinners like you and me have eternal life. Peter will eventually hear that, understand, and preach it. You and me, we get to live by that. You know, the 4th century theologian, St. Augustine, he dealt with all kinds of things that came up during his time. The Pelagian heresy, the Donatus controversy. Ask me about those, I'll be happy to tell you about it. But he dealt with and continued to preach that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he made a famous statement that I just have to park all the time with. St. Augustine said, maybe not in these exact words, because after all he spoke Latin, not English, but Lord, command what you will and give me what you command. That's St. Augustine. So yeah, Lord, command what you want and then give it to me. Please, command me to be forgiven, forgiving. And then, Lord, give me a forgiving heart. Command me to witness to people and give me the power to do it. Command what you will, Lord, and give me what you command. That's what he did with Peter. Who do you say that I am? And then he told him who, what the answer should be. 
Lord, command what you will and give me what you command. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.